0: So we've been talking about offenses, and um, what I wanted to do this week is I want to talk about relationships and offenses. Because I don't know if you've realized it yet or not, but the most common offenses happen within the context of relationships. How many of you, show of hands, would say that most of the times when you are offended, it involves another person? (laughs) Um, It always does. It always involves somebody else, and most likely it involves somebody that you're close to. But here at OSC Crowley, we believe that great relationships still exist, and they don't have to end in offense. We still believe that good marriages exist. We still believe that good friendships exist. We still believe that good community exists. But here's the truth. You cannot love God properly and still treat people like crap. (laughs) You just can't do it. So here's the truth. The reason that some of you, I'm going to just come right out of the bat here this morning. The reason that some of you are having a hard time connecting with God is because you're still holding on to offenses, which leads you to treating people in a way that you ought not to. See, if you're struggling with offense in a relationship this morning, here's what I want you to understand. Maybe you came here with your spouse and you're nudging them and you said, listen, the only reason I'm here today at this sermon is because I want you to hear this message. You know, you're elbowing them right now. You better be taking notes, son, because I'm telling you I'm going to quiz you when we get in the car. But here's what I want you to know. I want to point the arrow back at you. Everything that we talk about this morning is not for your spouse. It's for you. Everything that we talk about this morning is not for your friend. It's not for your mother-in-law. It's not for your father-in-law. It's for you. It's for you. And here's what we have a hard time doing as Christians sometimes. We sit in church and we say, man, that was a good message for my mom. (laughs) That was a great message for my spouse. And we forget about that God actually wants to do something in us. There's actually a scripture in Matthew 7. It's a very popular passage, but let me read it because I think it's going to help set up some things for us this morning. It says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So let me show you real quick what some of you guys look like this morning. You've been offended, and somebody needs to get over an offense, and you've got this huge log coming out of your eye. You laugh, but it's true. Right? So some of you are here, you heard, okay, maybe you saw on Facebook, oh, they're doing a message on a fence, I need to get my wife here, I need to get my husband here, and you're failing to realize that you have this huge protruding log coming out of your eye. So here's what God wants to do this morning. He wants to focus all of the attention on you so that you can walk out of here this morning and go, man, those are some things that I need to deal with. Those are some things that I need to allow God to work on in me. I posted this on Facebook this week, but I think it's so true. Christians are among the most offended people on the planet, which is ironic because our Savior has dropped every offense that we have ever committed against him. You know what's so tragic in the body of Christ today is you see church split after church split after church split, people finding other churches like it's, you know, a new slice of bread. (laughs) And it all goes back to one thing, holding on to offense. It all goes back to you're noticing the speck in someone else's eye, but you're failing to forget the log in your own eye. So let me make it easy for you this morning. The reason it's so hard for you to stay happy in your relationships is because it's so easy for you to get offended. The reason it's so hard for you to stay in a marriage and just be happy and love one another, or the reason it's so hard for you to stay in a friendship is because it's so easy for you to get offended. So I want to talk about three different ways that the enemy actually destroys relationships. And I'm going to weave this all throughout the sermon, so if you miss it, if you're a note taker, I promise I won't say it again. It'll also be on the screens. But three ways the enemy destroys relationships. Number one: the enemy's agenda in your life. Is destruction. The enemy's agenda in your life is destruction. The enemy has one sole goal here in this world. He wants to destroy your life. We see that in John ten ten. The the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So the enemy's agenda is destruction. Now watch this. The enemy's strategy is division. So so his agenda is destruction, but his strategy is division. We see that in Matthew 12, 25. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So if the enemy wants to destroy a relationship, all he has to do is he seeks after your own destruction, and then he divides you. Because a house divided cannot stand. But I want you to watch this. So the enemy's agenda is destruction, the enemy's strategy is, is division, but the enemy's tactic is offense. The way that he divides couples, the way that he divides relationships is offense. And it's not just usually one big offense, it's one small offense at a time. One thing that piles on top of the other. So the enemy's agenda in your life is destruction, his strategy is division, and his tactic is offense. Let me prove it to you. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have only been married maybe three years? Anybody in here? Three years? Go on, put them up high. Three years? Okay, let's, let's give a hand for them. Oh, three years being married. They don't know anything about marriage yet. <laughs> but have you ever watched a newly married couple? Have you ever watched them? They're smiling. They're kissing. They're romantic. They're writing notes. They're going on dates. And they're like, what is everybody complaining about this marriage stuff? This is so easy. Right? What is so difficult about this marriage stuff? It's awesome. I remember when Claire and I first got married, we were youth pastors. And I was young, dumb, and also extremely attracted to my wife. And I remember our youth, our kids in the youth group actually went to my dad and they're like, hey, listen, we love our youth pastor, but like they just kiss way too much. And it's disgusting. Like 15-year-olds, like, like we're, we can't concentrate because the pastor's barely preaching a sermon because he's making out with his wife half the time. Um, that's a true story. But how does the same couple go from kissing to romantic to being infatuated with one another? How does the same couple go from this to now I can't be in the same room with you anymore? How does that couple go from kissing to being romantic to writing notes to going on dates to saying sign the papers? I don't want to see you anymore. And here's the truth. What starts in the heart does not stay in the heart. And what starts in the thoughts does not stay in the thoughts. See, one little small prick that affects your heart, it does not just stay there. It grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. One little thought that enters into your mind about your spouse, it does not just stay there. It grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And over time, it becomes this massive offense that you can't get over, and now you can't stand to see this person. And the tragedy in this is, the closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity for offense The closer the relationship, the greater opportunity for offense. But here's the good news. The closer the relationship, the greater opportunity for greater intimacy. And see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to attack your relationship. And I'm not just speaking to marriages here. I'm speaking to friendships. I'm speaking to family members. I'm speaking to every context of relationship. The way that the enemy attacks your relationships is through offense. Remember what I said. His agenda is destruction. His strategy is division. His tactic is offense. See, nobody can hurt you more than the person that you've given your heart to, right? Nobody can hurt you more than the person that you've given your heart to. That's why some of you don't want to give your heart away anymore. (laughs) Well, I've been hurt once, so I'm not going to do that again. Uh, uh, Well, I've I've gone down that road, and that didn't work out so well for me, so I'm just going to hold on to it. But the truth is, it's the small things that lead to destruction, that cause division, that result in an offended lifestyle, that cause dysfunctional relationships. So offense is is it is literally the glue that causes dysfunction in our relationships. I don't know if you know this, but small offenses don't stay small, do they? Imagine an offense like a fire. Imagine it like a fire. Any pyrotechnics in here? Like you just love fire. Like, my wife hates when I get around the lighter. I'm like, oh my God, what can I burn with this thing? Um, but if you've ever lit a fire in here, and living in Louisiana, you, you, probably everybody in this room at some point has lit a fire in here. But when you light a fire, what is it? It's a conscious effort to start it, right? Now, once you lit it and you get it raging, and whether you're going to barbecue, roast s'mores, whatever you're going to do with this fire... When you are done with this fire, you have to make a conscious decision to put that fire out, don't you? And if you don't put that fire out, what happens? It's going to burn everything in its path. And it's the same way with offenses. Small offenses never stay small. If you don't make a conscious effort... ...to say, hey, I cannot be offended at this anymore, I have to learn to let this go, I have to bring this to God, then it's just like a fire. It begins to spread, and it causes havoc, and it wreaks destruction in every aspect of our relationships. And the tragedy in this, especially within the context of marriage, is when you get offended sometimes... And you say, well, I can't live with this person anymore. And maybe maybe you leave or maybe you get separated or you divorce or whatever. And you genuinely think that when I get married to a new person, then everything's going to be fine, right? Because they don't have the same problems that my other spouse had. But the, the problem is you bring yourself with you in the relationship. And you bring the offenses with you. And ultimately, it results in the same issue over and over and over and over again. So I want to I show you how this plays out. When we have offenses, within the context of relationships, how it actually affects us. And to do that, we're going to read... Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 21. And for those of you that always ask me, what version are you reading from? I'm in the ESV. And it says this. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of you, You shall not murder... And whoever murders will be liable to judgment now verse 22 this is jesus talking he says but i say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire now let me give you a little bit context of this verse matthew is speaking specifically to the one that is holding on to anger Now, I want you to understand something. Anger is oftentimes masked as an offense. It's oftentimes masked as an offense. And the scripture is saying this. Those who hold on to an offense are creating a living hell for yourself. You ever wonder where the phrase comes from when you say, man, this relationship is just a living hell. You are create, what the scripture is saying, what is Matthew saying to us is he's saying this, that relationships are going to hurt like hell as long as you hold on to offense. You create a living hell as long as there is an offense in the mix. And the truth is when, you, when you've been offended and you have no desire to reconcile with the other person, you are seeking to destroy this person. And so what, the, what God wants to bring us to today is not just hold on to offenses, because when we hold on to offense, here's what we do within the relationship. I'm so offended, so my only objective is to destroy you. My, my only objective is to constantly put you down. My only objective is to give you the pain that I constantly feel from you. And so it wreaks this havoc of, of dysfunction in the relationship. So how do we get past this? How do we move past this? How do we reconcile with someone who has greatly offended us? So let's keep reading, picking up in verse 23. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, this is so important, listen, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid every last penny. So what is the scripture saying? Jesus is saying, don't come to me and expect to get all this from me unless you have forgiven your brother. He's saying the second that you come down to repent at the altar, the moment that you say, God, I want, I'm want, i sorry. He says, if you realize that you have offended someone else, drop everything and go to that person. And then I love the little caveat in the scripture. He says, do it quickly. <laughs> do it quickly. Jesus is ultimately saying you cannot fully give yourself to Jesus and still be full of anger and offense towards your brother. Now, why must reconciliation happen quickly? Cuz the truth is we learned over the past few weeks that time doesn't heal anything, does it? Time actually only makes it worse. Jesus is quickly go to the Jesus is clear, go to the offender quickly. Why? Why quickly? So let's let's look at it. When we choose to prolong the process of reconciliation, this is what happens according to Matthew. Let me read starting in verse 25 again. says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge. Now watch this. And the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. So what is Matthew telling us? He said, when we hold on to an offense, we literally lock ourselves in the prison of offense. And here's here's the crazy part of it. We lock ourselves in the prison of offense and we give the key to the offender. We give the key to the offender, ultimately saying, the only way that I'm going to reconcile with you is if you reconcile with me first. But until you do that, I'm going to stay in this prison. And and here's the truth about offense. Oftentimes, when you're offended at somebody, most of the time, they don't even know you're offended at them. (laughs) And so you've just given the key to your freedom to someone else who doesn't even know that you're offended at them and you're seethingly angry, locked in this prison of offense, do you realize what you've done when you've come to this conclusion? We're actually saying that our freedom is in the hands of another flawed, broken human being, and this will never work. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, but I think it's funny how relationships have the ability to reduce grown adults to toddlers. I'm not saying sorry until he says sorry. (laughs) I'm not forgiving until she forgives me first. We do it all the time, though, don't we? We laugh because it's so true. But I beg you to hear Jesus' words in this. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out. What is he talking about? You'll never get out of the prison until you have paid every last penny. Meaning this, you're never going to get out of the prison of offense until you forgive that person. Until then, you stay locked in. Until then, you give the key to the offender, and your freedom is in their hands, rather than in a Savior. Now, I want to use an example, and maybe you remember it or not, but I want you to listen to the words of a song that we actually sang this morning. And it goes something like this. says, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. What forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. here's your truth. You can sing this song but completely miss its power because you're still locked in the prison of offense. So let me show you what this looks like if you're holding on to offense. Saying, oh come to the altar, forgiveness is open wide for everybody else except my husband because he's a jerk. (laughs) Forgiveness is for me but not for her. See, offense wants forgiveness for yourself and punishment for others. So we sing the song, but we totally miss the power of the song. We sing the song and we don't realize that in the song that Jesus is saying that he forgives everyone. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Christ. It's not contingent on who has or has not offended you. At the end of the day, he's saying, man, forgiveness was bought for everyone. And the truth is, you cannot fully experience the fullness of Jesus forgiving you until you've forgiven other people. Let me ask you this question. Have you, have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you kind of find yourself at, at odds maybe with God? Maybe you're going to God and you realize that you've done something wrong and you ask for forgiveness, but you don't really feel like you've been forgiven. Could it possibly be, like we read two weeks ago, that maybe the reason that you don't feel forgiven is because you still have not forgiven someone else? See, there is this haunting scripture in in the scriptures that says Jesus will not forgive you unless you forgive your brother. That's haunting, isn't it? So maybe, maybe the reason that we don't feel God's forgiveness sometimes is because we're still holding on to unforgiveness towards someone else. God, I want, I want you to forgive me, but don't for, I don't, I'm not going to forgive them because what they've done to me is just absolutely horrible. So I ask you this question. You may sing the songs today, but what's in your heart? You may sing the songs and forgiveness is for everyone, but what's in your heart? Let me talk specifically to the married couples for a moment. See, when you get married, there's this beautiful thing that happens. God takes two individuals, and what does he do? He makes them one. You become one union, right? But watch this. The enemy takes one and makes them two. How does he do that? How does he take one union and separate what God has joined together? One offense at a time. One offense At a time god take the the enemy takes the one the one that god has joined together forever until death do his part and the enemy makes them two because they've held on to one offense at a time remember what i said in the beginning the enemy's agenda in your life is destruction the enemy's strategy is division and the enemy's tactic is offense so if you're asking the question today within some kind of relationship maybe it's marriage Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's a mother. Maybe it's a father that you haven't spoken to in a while. Whatever it is. If you're asking yourself the question, how did we get here? How do we get here? How do we go from lovey-dovey to hating each other? How do we go from best friends to now, I I don't even want to talk to this person. How do we go from being so in love with each other to now sitting down in a lawyer's office. You got there one offense at a time. So here's something to live by. Small offenses are never small offenses. Small offenses are never small. Small offenses always grow, and it's just like the fire that I talked about earlier. It always manifests, it always burns through everything in our lives. small offenses are never small. Let me prove it to you. About 10 years ago, um, I think it was about 10 years ago, um, my wife and I had just gotten engaged. Um, We got engaged in South Africa. We came back. I would finished up with Bible school, and uh, we were getting settled down into this apartment, and I just started working with my dad. I was a youth pastor. And um, at the time, I think I was uh, probably 21, 22 years old, And when I tell you I knew nothing about pastoring, I knew nothing, (laughs) like nothing. Like people would come to me for counsel. I'm like, I don't know. Just deal with it. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. Like, well, they're like, but you're my pastor. I don't know the answer. (laughs) Well, shouldn't you know in the scriptures? Like I've read the Bible like three times in my life. I don't know. And I remember I I went through this season of my life in the middle of being a youth pastor, and I realized, okay, I better get on my face before the Lord, because I don't know what I'm doing. I remember diving into all these books, and um, the way that God's wired me, um, I've always just had this passion for the creative arts. I've never really been interested in in sports, and I know that's hard to tell with this physique. I look pretty athletic, but... Um. (laughs) that's a joke that's a joke um i'm also very prideful Um, (laughs) so 10 years ago i'm diving into all these books and um because of just the way that god's wired me I, i i usually learn different than other people so in school school is not my thing um, but what was, what was crazy was when I got out of school, like I had this sensational desire to learn because I started to learn how I needed to learn. Um, I had a hard time, like I was always the kid in the classroom tapping the desk, t- hit my foot on the desk, the teacher saying, Zach, shut up. Um, always just constantly getting up, sharpening my pencil, although I'd sharpened it like 20 times, like I just could not sit still. And so when it finally came down to study, to read, um, You know when you're in ministry there there is this section of kind of books that you're supposed to read to kind of learn and and we call it the whole leadership category like you should read these leadership books and how you should lead and how you should do all these things And i remember rummaging through a few of them and just going man i get nothing out of this i remember diving into a few different like films and movies and and novels and books and reading through the psalms and, and just spending time with jesus and feeling like i was learning a lot out of that and I remember I had one particular individual literally look at me about 10 years ago and say, Get out of the poetry and start reading leadership books or you'll never be anything. And I remember, like, in that moment, that cut me deep. And I remember for about three years, I didn't pick up another poetry book, I didn't pick up another any kind of thing like that. And I tried to force myself to read these leadership books that I absolutely hated and could barely get through, and I'm, I'm trying to pile through them. And the reason that I say small offenses aren't small offenses is because that one little thing that somebody said affected three years of my life. And that one little thing that somebody said, here's what's the crazy thing. They're one of my best friends today, and they've said a thousand nice things about me. The thing about small offenses is you can forget every nice thing that somebody has said about you and you remember the one bad thing and now you define the relationship off of a mistake. Maybe somebody misspoke, maybe they didn't mean to say it, maybe they didn't mean to stab you the way that they stab you but it just came out. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have ever said something you regret? It would be tragic if somebody defined you off of you saying something that you regretted. What if they now viewed you based off of one tired lonely day and you said something because you had an awful day at work but now they view you as that person what if jesus looked down on all of humanity and defined us by our worst day ever (laughs) but he doesn't does he see small offenses are never small It's crazy how offense gets us to focus on the one horrible thing someone said to us, and we forget all the positive things. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Small offenses are never small. Let that seep in this morning. As the scriptures say, when you get offended, deal with it quickly. Now, I want to revisit two verses in Matthew chapter 5. Mackenzie, you can throw up the next slide. I think it's the very next one it's the scriptures it says 23 and 25 yeah there you go i want you to, this is a this is an excerpt from matthew 5 that we read just earlier and i want to point something out to you cuz this is huge watch this in 23 it says so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember watch the wording here your brother has something against you So in verse 23, this person is your ally. They are your brother. They are your friend. They are your confidant. You love this person. Skip down two verses. Come to terms quickly with your adversary while you are going with them to court. How does a brother become an adversary in just a matter of two verses? How does a brother go from, I love this person, to all of a sudden, now this person is my enemy? You see, what started out in the argument, you never dreamed that it would end with an attorney, an attorney, did you? See, the problem with offenses is you don't see the wall that it's building between you and that partner. So, to use this plank again, when you get offended, just imagine it for a second. When you get offended, every time some small offense creeps into your life, it's like you driving a plank into the ground. And your partner your spouse is on this other side and every offense you keep driving plank after plank after plank until you have a wall and then you start asking wait why don't we connect anymore why is there no intimacy in the relationship why do i have a hard time looking at you why do i have a hard time connecting because your brother went to your adversary your brother went to your enemy your spouse is no longer your friend she is your enemy Your spouse is no longer your lifelong partner. Your spouse is now the person that you despise the most. Offense after offense, the wall becomes bigger and bigger. Instead of being soulmates, now you find yourself at odds, right? So hear me today, especially if you're in marriage. Incompatibility does not kill relationships undealt with offense kills relationships you ever watch Hulu Netflix and you see all the commercials for Match.com <laughs> find someone who is just compatible with you can, can I just save you some time and money and an embarrassing profile online <laughs> you are not compatible with a single soul on this planet it's not going to happen just not going to happen. And let me tell you why. Because you're both sinful. (laughs) Because we're more wicked than we think we are. We're more selfish than we think we are. We're not compatible with anyone. The only thing that makes marriage work is not compatibility. The only thing that makes marriage work is a Christ-centered relationship with Jesus. It's the only thing. That is the only glue that holds marriages together. It's not, well, this person loves the fish, and I love the fish. Great, let's get married. And, and here's the truth. Oftentimes, in, in it, going back to the newlyweds here, maybe if you're getting engaged or you're thinking about getting engaged soon or you've been married only for a few years, here's the truth. When you first get married, you're under this illusion, like compatibility. Like, we, we, to, we love all the same things. Stay married 10 years and you'll realize we are so different. And listen, your differences are not a bad thing. Your differences are not a bad thing. Now in the beginning you're going to think they are. I need this person to think like me. (laughs) And you're going to try to do everything that you can to change that person. But the longer you mature, the longer that you grow, you're going to realize, man, I need their differences. Because their differences make up for my shortcomings. I can't tell you how many meetings I've actually made on time because my wife is like, hey, don't you have that meeting today? I'm like, oh, shoot, (laughs) yes, I totally have that meeting today. I was just on my way there right now. (laughs) Incompatibility does not kill relationships. Undealt-with offenses kill relationships. I'm going to say it again. The enemy's agenda in your life is destruction. The enemy's strategy is division. The enemy's tactic is offense. Listen, all the enemy has to do to destroy your marriage is get you divided. As the scriptures say, a house divided cannot stand. And the way that he does that is through offense. Now listen, I know as we've done this series, there's a lot of people that are thinking through different things in their life and how do I forgive this person that has done just horrible things to me? Let this sit with you. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control what you do with it. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control what you do with it. Whether you choose to let that fire rage and burn and be dysfunctional in every relationship, that's on you, not the other person. So you can control what you do with it when somebody does something to you. Going back to Matthew 5, it says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, verse 24, leave your gift at the altar and go. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, drop it. You holding on, let me, the only reason we hold on to offense is because it gives us an illusion of control. As long as I hold on to this, then I can still stay angry angry at this person. And maybe they'll notice that I'm angry. Maybe they'll come to me. No, they're not going to come to you because they notice you're angry. And they think that you hate them. (laughs) Maybe if I just keep stabbing them, then they'll be like, Oh, thank you so much for stabbing them back. I'm just going to come and apologize. (laughs) Do you see the logic in that? It just doesn't work. If you can't let go of the offense, you will always have a dysfunctional, watch this, relationship with Jesus not just other people, with Jesus. The reason that some of us have the hardest time connecting with the Father is because we have dysfunction in our relationships. See, when a fence is buried its way into our heart, it is impossible to properly connect with God. It's impossible. You cannot do it. At the end of the day, We have to remember that small things never stay small and the enemy wants to do everything that he can, just like that scripture earlier, to bring you from being a brother to an enemy. He wants to bring you from being best friends to hating each other. He wants to take you and take that union that God has joined together and that one soul, one soulmate for one lifetime and he wants to break it up. And he does it one offense at a time. One offense at a time. Small offenses are never small.